Namaste. A question has been asked about some of these separative movements or separatist movements that are going on within India, especially the more recent one, the Khalistan movement, and what is its origin, what is its cause, what is its solution. So, origin is very clearly a falsehood, and the reason why one says so is that there is a very lie, interesting line in Savitri, a truth was there, a lie, and lie, and truth Truth speaking was a stratagem in that, that place. The fiend was visible, but cloaked in light, he seemed a helping angel from the skies. So, the worst attack of falsehood is when it imitates truth. Here, it is very clearly, without a doubt, an imitation of a great truth. The great truth, of course, is that great teachings of the Sikh masters. We can't even use the word Sikh master because the word came much later. The great masters from the lineage of Guru Nanak to Guru Gobind Singh, who brought a great truth to earth without doubt, they once again reconfirm the ancient Vedantic formula of one without a second, which many saints in medieval India, in their own way, through their different paths and approaches, confirmed. Like, the lineage of saints like Kabir, the great mystic, and many even Sufi saints, they confirm the same truth. So this confirmation is required that well, so that humanity in each age can follow it and realize it. They also gave an inner path. And in this inner path, the requirements were all inner. Very beautifully in one of the places Guru Nanak says, if you want to realize this state, what should be your state? Sadhu manka manityago kam krodh sangati durjan ki tase ahanish bhago. And then he says, Astuti ninda dau tyagi khoje tab nirvana. Kahanana ki yah khel kathin hai ko gurmukh jana. So he says that you have to come, stay in a state of equanimity. Where you are not looking for adulation and praise and, uh, you know, you are not afraid of criticism or, you know, these things don't affect you. You are not, uh, you know, any of these lower movements, wrath and anger and jealousies and ambition. When you are free from these, you realize through a one-pointed seeking by taking the help of Naam. That is the way that the great uh, mystics have shown the path by meditating upon it. Now you see, of course we know that world over religions are breaking. So even one can understand why this form is breaking. But unfortunately, it is breaking in such a way that its splinters are falling upon India. How is it breaking? Well, people often relate this movement to what happened in 1984. Well, what happened in 1984 and is of course horrendous and I have been a witness to subsequent event. But we forget that the 1984 event is itself... Uh, something else has happened before that. And that was with the rise of a man whom people revered as a saint. In fact, he was a self-styled saint, like many self-styled saints, uh, what, who is known as Bhindarwale. Many people must have heard. Who dressed uh, outwardly, who was following all the outer markers, apparently, of the things that a Sikh is required to do, but whose inner life was completely contradictory. Uh, carrying guns, killing sending people to be massacred like cannon fodders and wanting a separate whole 
state for what purpose? Evidently, so that one can become the prime minister of a state. It's so evident. It's nothing but driven by ambition. But using the name of religion, this is not something new. The entire history of Islamic conquest is using the name of religion for achieving socio-political uh, expansion of empire. So this is the same old tendency, nothing new about it. But it is dangerous because in modern times today, the world is looking up to India and India's akhandata, a united and indivisible India is required for the world. So in that context, one has to see these movements and it's a very clear imitation driven by vengeance driven by the strong spirit of revenge, which is so contrary, and focusing on merely the externals, that we want a place where we can practice our religion. Now, what is that practice of our religion? Like many of these religions do, which are in their dying phase, they are holding on to the body by the tethers, that we want to dress up like that, although nobody has ever objected to anybody dressing up. So, it's very clearly, it is a... It is a state of um, intense, the same thing, victim, uh, feeling persecuted, the same forces. And trying to convince the world that we are the one who are being persecuted, whereas you are the one who are killing. And then there is lies and revenge. It's a very dark and dirty world of falsehood in which if one digs deeper, one will find drugs, one will find dirty money, one will find everything that is contradic a contradiction to the great teachings of the gurus whom these people are claiming to represent. So, uh, it's not worth dwelling more into the falsehood part of it. But look at what happens with the consequences. Imagine a separate space where the state is driven by purely the principles of our religion and everybody must follow that religion. Now, what happens? Uh, even though you allow diversity... Apparently, okay, others can, like in Dubai or some places, you know, others can come. But the problem is that the souls which are born in a particular family, in a particular religion, and people who come there will always live. See, this is what religion does. There will be always the sense of some kind of a fear. You have to be in a certain way, dress in a certain way. This is what happens in Saudi Arabia. This is what happens in many places. That's why in Iran there is an uprising. You have to dress in a certain way. There is a code. Now imagine children from childhood, they are baptized into a way of life which is external. It is going to rob them of their inner freedom. So in the name of self-determination, you are actually taking away the freedom and the right of every child to be themselves. And in that sense, democracy is a big plus. That's why world over there is a cry for democracy because whatever it is, it's your personal affair. How you dress, what you do, as long as you don't step onto someone else's freedom, it's alright. You live your life according to certain rules which reason decides. So that's why reason had to come in and destroy the shell of religion. Otherwise, just imagine when you have a state based purely on religion, whether it's Islam or whether it, it be um, you know a separatist movement like Khalistan, the same problem will come. I'll touch upon the Hindu Rashtra idea uh, a little later. So when you do this, which is purely based on external conformity, then you are actually uh, taking away the right of or the right to freedom to be. So it is very dangerous and. Second thing we must understand in world as it stands today, actually never it was possible, but 
today even more so you can't run parallel universes you can't the world is intersecting there is a interconnect dependence this law the moment you begin to respect this law you have no choice but to give and take and enter into a kind of healthy interchange so there are great dangers which one can see in this movement apart from weakening india so one may say then then on what basis should people have a right is there a right to self determination or not well it is the same question like asking do i have the right to my own liberty or not liberty is a great word freedom is something very precious but see how this word gets dis- distorted now in its highest sense liberty and self determination mean basically that i have a right to lead my life or determine my life or a group life a group has a right to determine its group life in a certain way fair enough but what is that self which needs self determination so there we have the entire understanding from the upanishad are you referring to the physical self now imagine if i refer to the physical self my physical self is a right to determine now i may say that i want to go nude on the public i may say my physical self and my vital self likes to carry a gun like in certain gun trotting uh, states which claim to have to be you know uh, <laughs> covered by religion now not religion but by so called uh, rational things imagine now a person carries a gun now the moment you do this he is not living in that state where he knows what a gun means and how to use it he is going to use it and going to use it in ways which are going to be very detrimental later on you may uh, feel sad and do candlelight marches but you have actually didn't understand that freedom is never about the physical and vital self if the physical and vital self demand freedom it is going to be to the detriment of society so one needs to first understand which self now the second aspect is greater than the physical and vital self is the mental self mental self needs freedom but if the physical and vital self of a group which means in a religion external markers and ways of life start controlling the state then the mental self cannot develop you can't think freely you're not allowed you can't voice an opinion because today or tomorrow your opinion will be shut down because you are doing something which is not in conformity to the see this is happening in iran and if god forbid it won't happen because you know uh, of course the blessings of the gurus would be there and it's a new consciousness but if punjab goes that way this is exactly what is going to happen there will be imposition of purely external things and while it may satisfy some people's uh, so called demand for conformity and if you look at it who needs conformity people who are very scared who needs the safety numbers you will see when people are scared then what do they do they like to wear a similar kind of dress to identify whether it be a skull cap whether it be a burqa whether it be a hijab so you feel oh he is my type this is a is a sign of a great degree of fear but when you are not afraid when you are courageous when you are fearless as those who realize the brahman is or even a man of some dignity and nobility then you don't need these external markers you are sufficient unto yourself and with the divine help and the divine grace you can go anywhere and everywhere there's a story of john of arc that she cut off chopped off her hair and rani lakshmi bai because they said oh she is a woman she said i'll have no marker of a woman similar story in both of them 
they chopped off their hairs and then they went to the battlefield. So need of external conformity is created by groups who believe in uniformity. And uniformity is a very, very dangerous thing because it is contradictory to the divine plan of unity in diversity. Unity is not uniformity, unity is not sameness. And this is what I keep explaining to people, uh, telling people, see, one of the beauty of Shirobindo Ashram is that you don't have even a formal robe. Because even a formal robe becomes a kind of illusion. So anybody who wears a robe and you say he is a Swamiji, and who knows what all he is hiding inside, he only knows or God knows. So any kind of external markers were useful at a point of time when communities didn't have trust on each other. They were useful to identify, isolate certain groups. That was a period of time when the Brahmins would wear the vermilion caste mark and the janeo. It was needed at that point of time or the, especially when the Muslims came there, they were wearing another kind of dress and the Christians would be identified with another kind. The Jews would wear that uh, lovely topi. So this was a time when humanity was so, the groups were so scared of each other. But the sign of growing trust is that you can wear the dress you want to, I'll wear the dress I want to, and yet we can be deeply connected. So, wherever there is the vital and physical self which is determining whether it's a group or an individual, there the mental life suffers. You know, it's like old days when parents wanted children to conform to a certain idea, thoughts, opinions. So then what happened? They couldn't expand. Now comes the next level. So at least we must allow space for the mind to grow. This is a basic necessities of today's age. To allow people to think freely, to think differently, to have diverse ways, views of life. And they should not be afraid of voicing them. But beyond it, as the Upanishad says, there is a still greater self. Even when the mind determines, it's still a mind of ignorance. The mind will determine according to its own understanding about life. But this may not be part of the original plan. So that's where comes the next step that ultimately if there is a divine origin of this world that all religions believe, then the only logical thing is to discover that self which is aligned to the divine self. And then your outer life must flow from this deep inner realization and not the other way around. Yes, you may wear a certain dress, you may live in a certain way, speak a certain language, but it should flow naturally after realizing this inner self. That's why at one point of time, the language of the gurus, it was called Gurubani. The guru spoke that language. It came naturally to them. Now, if supposing somebody says that uh, everybody must speak this language, now you are deviating from the fundamental principle. For someone else, the expression of the inner self may be in English. For another person in Urdu, fourth person in Hindi, Gujarati, Tamil, so many languages. But common factor should be that it should be the highest self. Humanity has not yet reached that point and therefore we should be very careful of using these big words to justify our uh, small egoistic needs or demands, not even needs, demands which are going to disrupt the world order, which is moving towards a unity in diversity and harmony in a big way. So it's so important, especially in Indian context, it's important. India is geographically, 
you see india's akhand bharat is so beautifully geographically the himalayan ranges go all the way from afghanistan right up to the last far east culturally there is a common shared experience of this group of humanity which the mother has made as the map of united india if you see it is very clear so there is a great work that has happened in india for the past many many millenniums and in that work even the sikh gurus have contributed the tamil saints have contributed the saints of bengal have contributed and everywhere you see they have contributed towards creating this wonderful land with sanatan dharma with cultural um a a dharma which is itself by its very nature diverse so why sanatan dharma is called a universal dharma because it accepts all kinds of approaches and that is the only validity if any even of a hindu rashtra if hindu rashtra means everybody will wear the same clothes everybody will learn in vernacular then that hindu rashtra cannot sustain itself but if hindu rashtra means that as per sanatan dharma we allow there is a unity in diversity but we insist insist means inwardly we allow that freedom to grow within to explore the mind spaces and beyond that the spiritual spaces then yes and that dharma is bound to become the destiny of the world if the world has to have a religion if at all if it is moving towards unity in diversity then there can be no other religion but sanatan dharma and when we say no other it is not in the sense that sanatan dharma is never a limited thing it includes sikhism it includes the best of everything it has the power to include the quran it has the power to assimilate the bible it has the power to take within itself talmud but it lays only one condition that use these truths to discover your own highest self and having discovered it let it flow and express in your life so that the greatest the highest the best can be manifested in your speech and thought and feelings and actions in your individual and collective living and therefore india one and indivisible is important because at this point of time no other nation has a clue except india of sanatan dharma socialism and communism sense the sense of the divine are bound to fail because they are relying basically on the physical vital and at best the mental man democracies will fail eventually because they are relying on the mental man but india has the key wherein the spiritual man the highest must drive the mental the vital and the physical and that's what sanatan dharma is about that the individual life and the collective life must be driven by the highest greatest self that must determine and in that sense we can look at india one and indivisible as a yagya bhumi and hindu rashtra must must mean that if at all we, we don't need to call it a hindu rashtra it's really not important all that it means an overarching thought of sanatan dharma which allows all kinds of differences to flourish provided they are aligned or progressively getting aligned to their own inner highest deepest realization which is left undefined and does not insist on any external markers each one may have their own and that's how india has always been that's how india has flourished until the britishers came and until you know wedges were drawn and one such wedge which was drawn was khalistan 
the idea of Khalistan was much later than no none of the Sikh Guru says we want a separate political state where I want to rule. It's such a paradox and fools don't realize it. Actually, the man who is leading the movement right now is a man with a very small brain and a very narrow thought, extremely afraid. He moves with a caravan of hundreds of, or I don't know how many, some 15 uh, bulletproof uh, vehicles with gunmen. Is this the sign of a saint? Guru Gobind Singh and Guru Nanak who lived amongst the, uh, you know, such hostile people. Did they ever use these? Any great master. Do they ever use these means? Why? Because the attribute of Brahman is Nirbhayo. is free of all fear. So it is so evident that this movement was created by the Britishers by giving allurement to a group of humanity. They wanted to divide India very badly to weaken it more and more and to uh, extract as much as they could <laughs> well they looted it's okay nature has its own way of <laughs> bringing to books <laughs> but unfortunately what they left was much worse than poverty and famine and that was division and division and discord of a kind that India had kingdoms but yet the kingdoms knew, even there were fights, but they knew that they are living in a larger context. States may have a fight, they may have differences. That doesn't matter. It's bound to be there and it's a good thing. Yet at the same time, there was a larger confederation, a unity of kings, larger. And that's how India must become and it must lead the world, uh, not only in G20, but uh, the entire world towards the true means of unity. But for that, India must first recover her own unity. One and indivisible India, Akhand Bharat, is necessary for the world. And Sanatan Dharma, its uprising, which of course, once again, has nothing to do with externalities. Those who want to look at it like that are free to look. We allow, we allow Tilak Tripund, it's okay, fine. We equally allow something else, it's... It's, you don't become a, a Sanatan Dharma follower by anything external. I am a staunch, um, I believe in Sanatan Dharma, but I am wearing a shirt. But equally I could be uh, sitting with a dhoti and clad. It's, it's alright, that's not important. But Sanatan Dharma, India has been the custodian. And therefore this Yagyavedi must be preserved against the onslaught of all these separatist movements that have at different points of time been afflicting India since its recent independence, which includes the Kashmir movement, which included the Northeast, which includes now the Punjab, which included at some point the southern states. Why? Because the Asura knows this is the most happening land. And as has been predicted by someone, the last Asura will die in India at the feet of Mother India. Let's hope he dies and is not revived again. He is dissolved and absorbed in the Supreme. We had had enough of Asuras, time for a godlike humanity and even higher, a divinized humanity in the future.